Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everybody. We are continuing our series in the book of Romans, and before we, before we get into Romans, um, I wanted to ask for y'all's help with something. I'm going to just set this real quick. Forever. Um, on Wednesday, we are doing, uh, F- or our church is paying for and hosting lunch for the high school FCA on this Wednesday. And so um, one of the things that would be nice if you could help, we it would be great to, instead of going to Brookshire's and buying, it'd be great to have seven or eight dozen cookies. So if you would like to make some cookies, then you just come up to me. Um, and uh, make sure I write it down, because if you just tell me, that wouldn't be good. But come up to me, make me write it down, or text me and just say, I'm good for a couple dozen, or I'm good for, you know, uh, whatever. Just let me know, and make sure it's up here before Wednesday around, you know, 10 a.m. or something, so we can get it up to the school building. So uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd be willing to help with that. Uh, With Romans... um, We've been in this chapter 12. We're going to be in the second half of 12 of today. But one of the things that I am excited, uh, there's a, a question that I think I have often thought about and you maybe have thought about when it comes to being a Christian is in the Bible we see many places where it says something like, people will know that you are a Christian by your love for them, right? And one of the questions that we, I think about is, we're called to love everyone, right? What if I don't really like most people? How, how am I supposed to be someone who is good at loving people when, you know, it's kind of like, well, what if I don't necessarily like that person yet? I'm supposed to be loving and love all of them? And the cool thing is, is that Romans 12, Paul gives us a really great answer to that question. And so wait for it. It's coming. The answer of how do we love a bunch of people, everyone we meet, even if we don't necessarily know anything about them or have any relationship with them. And uh, how are we supposed to do that? Romans uh, 12, I've said it. I've said it the past. This is now the third week in a row. The first two verses are the summary. Anything you need to know about what is going on in this whole chapter, look at the first two verses and they'll give you a pretty good hint. The first half is offer your bodies as a living and breathing, practical, everyday sacrifice to God. Everything you do with your actions, this thing we're going to do on Wednesday with the high school FCA, we are loving by giving up our time and our bodies to prepare food for these people. This is how we offer our worship to God. Living, breathing sacrifices with what we do with our lives. And then the second half is, do not conform to how the world would want you to think and live, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're going to see as we read verses 9 through 21, we're going to see how in 9 and 21, once again, they come back to these two things. Offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and then also being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you want to follow along on the screen or you can turn in your Bibles, I'm going to read through Romans 12, 9 through 21, uh, and then get into uh, kind of the really, I think this is a really, really powerful, um, really powerful place where we see a lot about what Paul thinks about what it means to love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I want to pause real quick. I don't know how many of you are aware of it, but in 1 Corinthians, we have the famous chapter in chapter 13 where we get the love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast. And we think that Paul wrote that because he thought, man, people need to be quoting me at weddings for many, many years to come. How can I get in everybody's wedding for the next thousands of years? And the answer is that he didn't write that at all with the intention of it being husbands and wives. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, I don't care about any of your spiritual gifts if you don't have love. And what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. He's talking about how we're supposed to treat each other. This is Romans' version of that exact same thing, where Paul is saying, you need to love each other. You need to love each other well. And how, what does that look like? And, he's, and, and we get this. And now let's continue on. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That could be its own sermon, that line right there. As far as it is possible, in your ability, live at peace with people. You can't control how they're going to treat you. You can't control how peaceful they're going to be to you, but you can control how you're going to treat them. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. You're like, well, okay, wait a second. That sounds kind of mean. The idea is, I think, you know, the idea is if you're continually being kind to someone who's your enemy, then they're going to feel it when they're constantly feeling guilty. Like, man, this person is nothing but nice to me, and yet I just keep on being their enemy. That's the burning coals. Um, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, so today we get to talk about this key thing that's important to Paul, this idea of I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the purpose of your transformation is not just so that you're better. The purpose of your transformation is so that you will be able to better live out God's purposes in the world. The gifts he's given you, the grace of these gifts, it's so that you'll be better at loving each other and loving your neighbors and loving God. He is wanting to transform us so that we can love others, transformed love. And the cool thing is, is Paul and I'm obviously going to lay this out. You've heard the phrase before, two sides of the same coin. I think I'm about to argue for two things that are going to sound really contrary, but I believe for Paul they are two sides of the same coin. So I'm first going to focus on one side of the coin and make a point, and then I'm going to kind of argue the other point, but I believe they're both right. They just sound contrary to each other. Because the question that Paul... He, as you can tell in most of his letters, the core of everything is you better be loving. You better love your neighbors. You better love each other. That is at the center of all of it. And I want you to be transformed to love. How can we become people who are transformed to be more loving and therefore showing more of Christ's love? And I'm going to use a very crucial uh, movie to articulate this point. I know you're, you probably are wondering, where's Drew going with this? It's a very important, uh, life-transforming tra- uh, movie for many people. Oh, side one. You are transformed to love through action. And to talk about this, we're going to use Beauty and the Beast. Okay, so let me break down Beauty and the Beast real quick. I know you probably think I'm joking, but this is one of my favorite sermon analogies ever. 
Beauty and the Beast starts out, you have this rich prince, right? Who is there at the castle and he's got everything he needs. And this poor widow, poor lady comes to his door asking for some shelter from the rain. And he turns her away, right? And she reveals herself to basically be this, you know, this uh, sorceress or something. And she says, because of your cruel treatment of me, I am going to transform you into a beast. Okay? And she says, you will no longer be a beast when you learn to love. Okay? And then we go through this story and we have this, you know, so the beauty and the beast. The beauty, Belle, she shows up into the story. And the thing that is cool is, is we get this, I decided not to play a scene from the video, from the movie. But we get this scene at the end where she tells him, I love you. I need, I need everyone to nod with me. You've, you've seen this movie, right? Okay, good. She tells him, I love you. And what happens? He's on the ground like he's dead. He got shot by Gaston's arrow. And he starts to lift up and he's like floating in the sky and he's transformed into this handsome guy again, right? You've seen this? This is what I think we wish baptism looked like, you know? We wish it was like, all right, here you go. You're dying to your old life. And then whenever you get raised up, you just start floating up above the baptistry. Four-part harmony starts playing, you know, like, oh, da, da, you know, and you're, you're transformed into this incredible, amazing Christian who has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and it's just oozing out of you. But the cool thing about the story, and the reason why this analogy is so perfect, is because the truth is, is that the reason, at the start of the story, this man, I don't even know what his name is, it's just Beast, but this man internally is a beastly person. And all that she did was just change his outer appearance to reflect his inner appearance. You following me? What's going on in the story is that as he is acting lovingly towards her, his inside, his heart, is transforming who he is. You see it. He starts to be hospitable. He starts to be kind. He starts to do kind things for her. He protects her from danger. And the end of the story isn't, well, he was just a terrible beast, and then she happened to fall in love with him, and now he's, he's transformed. The truth is, is that by acting lovingly to her, he is transforming, and the end is just an outer reflection of the transformation that's already happened inside. You, you following me? The thing, the cool scene that we see at the end, that is not the transformation. That is his outside changing. The transformation is his kindness and love to her throughout the story, okay? So, the point that Paul would make, and this is something that uh, Tim Keller always talks about is that often as when we go through this life as Christians that loving is not about how do I feel about this person loving is how am I going to act in a loving way for these people okay for Paul he lists out he doesn't think well you know the answer to how am I supposed to love all these people that I don't know is Oh, well, that's because you think, we Westerners, we think that love is, I feel all these warm, fuzzy feelings about that person. That is not love for Paul. Love for Paul is, how are you going to treat people? I really don't care about how you feel about them. I care about how you act towards them. And as you act in loving ways towards people, you will start to be you will start to love them more. Tim Keller often talks about how when he's a minister, or as a minister, ministers are often called to love a whole bunch of people because that's part of the job. You know, all these people in your flock, 
You're supposed to love them, even though you feel varying degrees about each person in the group. But what he says is, the secret is, as he acts lovingly towards people, before he knows it, he finds himself loving those people. Does that make sense? Another analogy that I'll use, and I, I think that this could be a touchy one, but I think it's important. I want you to imagine a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law who do not like each other. I know that's never existed before, but let's imagine that there's a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law who do not get along, okay? And let's say that something happens later in life where the mother-in-law takes ill and has to come and live at home with the daughter-in-law. And they're kind of bitter with each other. They're kind of sassy with each other all the time. Everything's well, you didn't quite cook that the way you should have cooked that. Well, you didn't quite, you know, make my bed the way I like you to make my bed. You didn't, and there's this tension. But the daughter-in-law keeps on acting lovingly towards the mother-in-law, keeps on making food, keeps on helping her to the bathroom when she needs to go to the bathroom, keeps on driving her to the doctor's visits, keeps on picking her up out of bed every morning and helping her get in bed every morning. And when the day comes that the funeral finally happens, the daughter-in-law finds herself crying in the funeral home, crying in the church. And you wonder, I thought you hated this person. I thought you did not like this person. But you know what they find? They find that as they acted lovingly towards their mother-in-law, as they went through the actions of love, more and more they find that their hearts are being transformed that they do love their mother-in-law. Okay? Nod your head if that's making any sense. Okay? So this is the first side of the coin. The thing that is very simple, uh, straightforward about Paul, is he is saying there is some real simplicity of what it means to be transformed as a person to loving people. And it's just loving people. Going out and acting in a loving way towards someone. As he would put it, be devoted to one another in love. Doesn't have to do with how you feel. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Doesn't really matter how you feel about them. Honor them. Bless those who persecute you. If someone persecutes you, bless them. Doesn't matter how, how you feel about them. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone in your group is going through a great celebration, rejoice with them. If someone in your group is going through deep mourning, mourn with them. I don't care how you feel about them. I don't care whether you like them or not, or they give you warm, fuzzy feelings. Act lovingly toward them. And what you'll find is that through acting out in love, you will become transformed that you actually do love them. Okay? This is something, and, and the, the one that I think is the coolest of all of the commands, that's about as straightforward as it gets, is in verse 9 when he says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It's kind of a, this transforming your, your mind, let's not make it too complicated. Don't like evil things, cling to the things that are good in this world. Okay, so that's one side of the coin. Alright? So if you go home, and your parents ask you, what did you learn in your sermon today? The first thing that you say is that we are transformed to be the loving agents of God's love in this world by acting lovingly. Now, the other side of the coin. Transformed to love through a new mind. One thing that I can picture, we've been going through Romans. This is our 20th sermon on Romans. And we've gone through so many sections of Romans where Paul is talking about his theology. He's talking about this idea of, you know, how Christ and the salvation we have through faith in Christ, all this stuff. And sometimes I can imagine some of you, and including myself, being like, can't we just get to the part where we get through all the theology part and you just tell me what I'm supposed to do, Paul? How many of you, like, some of you don't like James, 
But some of you like the book of James because James just pretty much gets right down to this is how you're supposed to do it, right? And a lot of preachers, we like James because we get to just tell the crowd, hey, this is just how you ought to do it, okay? Following me? I need more head nodding, okay? So we're here at this part of Romans where we get to Romans 12 and for those of us who like Paul just telling us this is what you should do, we're like, oh, thank goodness. Like, okay, great. Just hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Now, none of these things are easy, but they are all things that's just like, just do these things. And we just think, why couldn't Paul have just gotten to this application part at Romans 1? You know, I don't need all that faithfulness and all. Just tell me how I'm supposed to do it, Paul. You are welcome to follow the steps as much as you want. But the clear witness of Scripture is that something beyond good intentions and willpower is needed to transform our self-centered personalities into a loving community of people that use our gifts to bless each other. Let me read that again. You are welcome to try following these steps as hard as you want. The clear witness of Scripture is that something beyond good intentions and willpower is needed to transform our self-centered personalities into a unified community of loving people who use our gifts to bless each other. So, here is the thing that I'm saying. They sound like opposites, but I think Paul would say they have to go together. One part of me thinks, okay, you really aren't going to be able to act and be a loving person to others unless you've had your mind transformed by the sheer grace and power of the love of Christ in your mind and heart. Because there is no amount of willpower that I'm going to have that's going to make me love that unlovable person. I can try as hard as I want. But the second I start to come to grips with just how much I'm in need of the grace and love of Jesus Christ, just how lost I am, just how just how in need I am of this mercy and how it is Christ's faithfulness alone that allows me to get to say I am in right standing with God and I have a new life and a new story. Just how, how much the younger son and the prodigal son when he comes running home and the father opens his arms, he didn't deserve the father to open his arms. That younger son is the one that is able to have a transformed mind to say I am never going to close my arms to anyone ever because I didn't deserve for my father to open my arms. Now the older brother in that story, the older brother in the story is the one that's like, of course the father didn't have to open his arms for me. I was there all along, you know? I don't need that grace. I don't know if that younger brother deserves to have his arms opened up. I've been here all along. I've been here sticking by the father. That older brother in the story is the one that misses out on the party. That older brother is one that is not having his mind transformed to love. And until we become people that really grasp, and that's, that's what the theology is about. That's for Paul. How am I going to get these, Roman, these Gentiles and Jewish believers in the Roman church, how am I going to get them to get along? I've got to teach them about the just extravagant love and grace of Jesus. And that will transform their mind. And it is only through that transformed mind are they going to be able to actually love each other and get along together. They only through them knowing that neither height nor depth or angels or demons will separate us from the love of Christ. It's only through that that they're going to have this transformed mind. That's the one side of the coin. But the other side of the coin that I think Paul sees is just as true is, you know how we get them to love each other? Is by them just loving each other and acting lovingly. 
I don't have any expectations that we've got a lot of people that are on other sides of the aisle on whatever it is. Back in the 60s, if you were white and black, how am I going to get these people to love each other? If right now, politics, how am I going to get these two parties to love each other? Uh, how am I going to get Christians and Muslims to love each other? How am I going to, how are we going to make this happen? And for Paul, he's like, it's pretty darn simple. Act lovingly towards those people. And guess what? Before you know it, you will be someone who is practicing what it means to show the love of Christ, whether you feel that way or not. And I believe the power of the Holy Spirit and the transforming of our hearts that's available to us, that you will find over the course of time that God has been working to transform you to where you do actually love that person. But it's not because you were strong enough, but it's because you decided to just be obedient and submit to God saying, you should love. So the last thing I want to say, this great line that ends it, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I said, I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. This passage is not saying, do not let evil people get their way in the world. What it's saying is, when you decide to play the games of evil with evil people, they have won. They have overcome. I'm going to go to one political analogy real quick. I don't like any kind of, what are they called where it's called a, a hate campaign or something where it's like, is that what it's called, a hate campaign? Where you like, what is it? Smear campaign. Where basically this official that we want you to elect, we don't talk about how good that person is. We talk about how bad the other person is. I don't care who you are or what you believe. You have lost the Jesus message if you're bad-mouthing the other person. You with me? Your message of the cross is pointless and empty if your methods are the methods of the enemy. You have lost. So, do not be overcome by evil. Every person who uses a smear ad, and I'm not talking just political, I'm talking in life. If we smear people, oh, evil has overcome me. But if I choose to love and be gracious, despite the evilness that's there, guess what? You have overcome evil with good. Jesus was killed by the enemy. Jesus was killed by the cross, but he was never overcome by evil. If Jesus had decided to start to hate and be angry and go to war, guess what? Jesus would have been overcome by evil. But he didn't. He was killed but never overcame by evil because he did not submit to their games, their methods. But instead, we know that Jesus Christ himself overcame evil with what? With good, with love, with self-sacrifice. And we get to join in that. We get to be people that are messengers of the cross. We get to be people who are ambassadors to the love of Christ. When we choose to live our lives where we are not overcome and give in to the methods of evil, but we decide to say we are going to act in love and overcome that evil with good. Martin Luther King says, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can drive out hate. So, as Revelation 12 says, um, we will overcome but it will be by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our witness and testimony to Him, not by playing those games. So, I'd encourage you, uh, if any of you would like to know what it means to be someone who is transformed by love to love others, uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. So many of us would love to talk to you. If uh, you have any prayer requests, something that is on your heart, we're going to have elders standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing this closing song.